Awesome, dude. What is happening, party people, and welcome to another edition of Talking During Movies, the podcast where we take key moments and quotes from a film to drive a conversation. And this one's a fun one. I have some very fond memories of this movie. But before we get into the movie, let's get into the guest. And the guest is John Fallon. And John, please tell people about yourself. More importantly, uh, where they can find you on the socials, how they can engage with you, all that fun stuff. Hello, everybody. My name is John Fallon, and I cook a mean omelet. Yes. There you go. So if you need good food, I'm your man. Uh, you could find me on uh, Facebook, official John Fallon. Uh, same thing on Instagram. Uh, although I think it's John Fallon official or official John Fallon. Just look for the guy with the hat. And uh, that's pretty much it. You could go to my blog, john-fallon.com. And of course, I am the arrow, the man behind arrowinthehead.com, the website. So you could... Check us out there and on Joblo Horror and Joblo Horror videos on YouTube. And I think that's pretty much it. Nice. Very nice. Now, you know, as always, I reach out, you know, is lucky enough to get connected with you through the, uh, the hairy artist, that crazy yep. face swapping man. <laughs> I love him to death. I call him my European father. Uh, so he, uh, he introduced us, you know, we do the thing, 10 movies out of the 10, you know, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, what makes yep. this close to your heart what's special about this one it's the movie i was really 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 not allowed to see (laughs) really not allowed to see when it came out word on the street it was the scariest thing ever Mm -hmm. and uh i used to be good i was very ninja-ish with my parents when i was a kid in terms of seeing movies behind their back but with this one they weren't they were on top of me and so i really wanted to see it and i finally did get to see it when my aunt babysat me <laughs> and uh, she said oh you want to watch Nightmare on the Street I have it right here so <laughs> we watched it we yeah my uh, that's my mom's sister so I'm pretty sure she wasn't too impressed when she found out and I finally watched it and as you can imagine it scared the bejesus out of me I had nightmares over ironically enough nightmares over nightmares over nightmares from that movie but then I would watch it again and watch it again and kind of became addicted to it so it's, it's a movie, it's, you know, there are movies you remember that you see them at a uh, impressionable age and mm-hmm. they mark you. So Nightmare on M Street definitely marked me. Everything about it actually marked me. The, the cover art on oh, that VHS, yeah. the VHS box when I go in video stores and see, you know, Nancy there with the things and uh, so many scenes, specific scenes from the picture have been like carved in my brain. Uh, so it's the soundtrack, everything about it. It's just... It's, yeah. it's one of those, it's, it's like the, uh, you know, they make the joke about eight tracks, right? You had to make a good album because there was no rewind and fast forward. It was just hit play. Yeah. This is like that genre of movie that was just, it wasn't just, well, it wasn't just good cinematography. It wasn't just good writing. It wasn't just good acting. It wasn't just good music. It's like they took all of it. They threw it into a pot and like, we're, we're going to make it the best across the board. Yeah. Oh, and we're going to scare the shit out of you. So hang yep. on, let's have a party. All right, let's hit play and let's keep chatting. All right, cool. Go. Boom. So uh, the, the memory of this with me, I am in the I am in the fifth grade. I've just moved to Whitefish, Montana, and I meet a kid named Mike Libby. And Mike becomes my buddy. And I let your parents uh, were like my parents. So my mom could not watch anything PG rated. I mean, she was religious and, and very uh, uh, conservative and 
you know, always concerned. I mean, even the radio, she's like, oh, you can't listen to the radio. That's how Satan sneaks into your ears and then he gets into your brain and then he's in your heart. And I'm just like, geez, this Satan guy has got quite, quite a program. <laughs> he's got a reach. That's he's for got sure. a reach. And yeah. I remember we're over at Mike's house and we, we get to watch this. And three things that I remember. One, I remember the, the anticipation of fear, which I think kids miss out on. I think, you know, they've replaced gore with anticipation. Right. Yeah. And so the anticipation of fear of just building, you're just, you're on pins and needles. And then there's some weird levity and we'll get to it. And I will probably raise my hand and point it out, but then there's, you get to see a girl topless. You know, I'm in fifth grade. I mean, this is like, this is a rare sighting. Now these days, kids, they open up their phone and whatever is thrown yeah. at them. Yeah. Folks, this is 1984. Okay. This is a little different. And then the, the scenes, the chase, the fear, the, the, the when are you going to sleep? How are you going to sleep? What does that look like? And then that dream state, dude, it's just, it brings up so much stuff. It's crazy. I love it. And, and the idea of, of how he was scary, right? Because it is getting you at that vulnerable moment. You're there, you're asleep. No, you know, is someone going to come there and wake you up? It's crazy. It's beautiful. So what, you know, in, in the genre of horror, you know, obviously this one had a, a very large impact on you. What, um, where, where did that genre hit you uh, as far as, how has it influenced you in, in what you do today and, and just your life in general? The uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film or just horror? Yeah, just horror in general. general. Horror was my first um, genre. Uh, okay. I've, always, I've always been a very um, extreme person, extremist. Mm -hmm. So I'm all in or I'm all out. That's just the kind of guy I've been in everything I do, whether it's work, whether it's relationships, whether it's what I love. I mean, uh, for example, the first band that I loved was mm -hmm. uh, Iron Maiden. Really? Okay. So I bought an Iron, Man, Iron Maiden t-shirt for every day of the week. And I would not listen to any other band but Iron Maiden. And that went on for a while until Judas Priest kind of snuck in and I kind of let go of my extreme ways. And then I started really getting into metal. Mm -hmm. So the same thing happened with horror. Uh, up to that point, 1984, you know, the movies I saw, the movies that my parents let me watch. Okay. Uh, the first horror movie I ever saw was the original Evil Dead. Oh, how'd you like that? Oh, it's, it's, it scared the shit on me. Obviously, I, of course, I wound up seeing it. Uh, I went for a weekend at my uh, friend's cabin with his mom and mm -hmm. we watched it and I was so scared I wound up sleeping on the floor next to my friend's bed because I was petrified. Um, so that kind of got me into horror and then Nightmare on M Street came about and there was a buzz about it and you know it came out in the cinemas mm -hmm. and there was a buzz about it so now I was anticipating I was too young to go see it it was 18 and over anticipating sure. for it to come out on VHS and then it came out on VHS and then you know, I would look at the box and oh my god can't wait to see this movie mom can we rent it you know no 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 and finally you know um I saw it so Evil Dead plus Nightmare on Elm Street kind of got me on my way in terms of horror okay and then that extreme uh personality trait that I have that I did with Maiden I did with horror I would only watch horror movies so I just watch horror movies, watch horror movies, watch horror movies. And, you know, I did not know at that time that that and, and when I when I mean horror movies, then I started branching, you know, Argento mm -hmm. and Soavi and Bava and 
stuff like that. So I really soaked it, all of it in. And at that time, I didn't know that um, it would become something um, you know, incredibly useful when I accidentally wound up starting a dinky horror website. That. How do you accidentally start that? Because it seems like it's more of a, you know, a, a real passion of yours than anything else. Um, well, Air on the Head, yeah, in the year 2000, Air on the Head was uh, launched. Mm -hmm. So that's before Facebook, Twitter, before uh, there wasn't that many horror websites, before blogs even. Uh, you know, we had uh, Diabolical Dominion. Uh, Creature Corner, which was part of Chud, and we had uh, Bloody Disgusting, which started a bit after us, which of, of, of course now, you know, are huge. Um, Air on the Head came about, I'd, I was out of film school and starting acting school or the, or the other way around, I'm bad with time. And, and where did you, where did you go to film school at? In Canada. In Canada, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Canadian by, by uh, birth. I come to the States all the time, back and forth, back and forth. So I went to film school and I went to theater school. Mm -hmm. So my um, ambition, my goal in life professionally was to start off as an actor. I wound up graduating into screenwriting. And my holy grail was always to direct a feature, which, which I did in 2015 with The Shelter starring Michael Perret. But anyways, to go back to Air on the Head, mm -hmm. my friend Burge Garabedian, uh, aka Joe Blow from JoeBlow.com, he had started JoeBlow.com in... Uh, 1998 I think so in the year 2000 he's like uh just out of nowhere you know hey John you know you know all about that horror stuff why don't you start a side thing on my site for shits and giggles and uh you know I'm like meh why not it'll keep my writing fresh and uh I remember I told him we'll call it air on the head okay. and don't don't censor me and we're in business so I said okay so my intent at the time was I was I was a fan of Andrew Dice Clay, that kind of really out of line humor, uh, Sam Kinison, Howard Stern a bit later on, mm -hmm. was to do that for film criticism, if you will, although I never considered myself to be a critic, just a guy that said his opinion. And that was it. And I tried to be entertaining and funny. So I did it thinking only my mom would read what I wrote. But within about three months, it kind of picked up steam. And then I had like directors and producers and actors reaching out to me. And next thing you know, I had fans and then I had groupies. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? So, <laughs> so next thing you know, this thing I started for fun, I just launched. And, uh, and yeah, it's been now 20 years. So and we're still around. So and you're still around and now. What is what have you seen, you know, in your views of how your view in the world, you know, how have you seen horror change? I mean, obviously, I have, I have my perception, but I don't I don't live in and breathe it and understand it the same way that you do. So how, how have you seen horror change uh, more since, of a, since you've gotten into it? It's more. I mean, look, you know, we all get old. Like right now, oh, John, what do you watch? You know, I watch old movies. <laughs> I like watching movies from the 80s and the 90s. And at about 2000, I kind of cut out. Uh, it's just because those are the movies that I grew up with. They're from my time. Um, the nostalgia factor is huge. Um, I think when Scream came about, it changed it. Yeah, it brought back horror. Horror was kind of like hurting in the 90s, you know, when we had uh, Halloween 6 or 
yeah. four in space and uh, it was kind of languishing it wasn't popping like it did in the 80s mm -hmm. but scream brought it back but then that resulted in which are films i still kind of enjoy but you know i know what you did last summer and uh, uh then the remakes one miss pg-13 and remakes kicked in and then torture porn kicked in and i don't know i just you know i enjoyed hostel I enjoyed the first saw and uh, the second one too and the third one. What do you think about the new one coming out? We've got a new one coming out, right? Which should yeah, be I want to see it. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen yeah. it yet, but I mean, I think Darren Darren Bowsman uh, has done a really good job. You know, with all the saws that he did, Part Three is my favorite personally. Okay. Um, but Spiral looks like you know it's more of the same but different, kind of like more. Um, I haven't seen it, so it seems like they're grabbing different actors to try to get that touch, right? I mean, because yeah. there's only so many um, John, uh, Bruce Campbells out there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right? definitely. Oh, no, we got Chris Rock, so I'm sure he, he, you know, I love Chris Rock, so I'm sure he does a bang up job. He does, right? I mean, I'm sure he's going to do an awesome job, but it is, it's a, it's a very um, unique play, if you will. I also, I find it interesting in the, uh, you know, especially in this genre and in this, in, in the horror you know where we talked we touched about a little bit as we opened up but it was um you know we're uh we've gone from anticipation yeah to, uh to bang, just bang, straight bang, up gore and horror yeah. where do you find the value you know as 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 an entertainer and as a person who creates and let's say you're sitting back and watching your own film unfold in front of people where are you seeing that value? Are you seeing it more in the shock and awe of the gore and the pop, or is it the anticipation that you like to build more for your audiences? Well, for me personally, it's the anticipation. I'm okay. a bigger fan of suspense and tension. And I mean, in terms of Nightmare on M Street, that's what it had. Mm -hmm. You know, it had a, a, a thick anticipation. Every, every scene, every set piece would take the time to build and build. And the, the atmosphere, uh, atmosphere was oppressive. The score just got under your skin and they build and build and build and then boom, they come and just own you, you know? Yeah. Um, of course, today now the attention span is much shorter than, than in my days when I was a young man. But, <laughs> uh, you know, but it is, you know, everything's more clipped. Everything's quicker. I mean, there's still movies uh, today, although I can't think of one offhand, that, that do acts on suspense to some degree. Mm -hmm. But it's also quicker, you know? So everything's quicker. Uh, I like a good, you know, I love uh, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. That's a gore film. Uh, Romero's Don the Dead. That's a gore film. Uh, the original Saw, Saw 2, Saw 3. Uh, I like gore films as well. Uh, it's not my preference, mm -hmm. but I like gore, uh, Evil Dead 2 is one of the best gore films. Fun gore films. I guess, you know what? There you go. I just nailed it. For me personally, I like my gore films when they're fun cheese. Okay. The most, yeah. Do you, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you brought up like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. And maybe, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I'm probably wrong here, but Nightmare on Elm Street has this unique element, right? Because yeah. it's a person and a monster. Yeah. Right? It's fantasy and reality. I mean, I mm -hmm. guess Pinhead from Hellraiser might be considered another one, but you get to see in the beginning of this film, he's crafting his gloves, he's doing yeah. thing. Whereas Pinhead's kind of this creation, you know? So there's a mortality to the character, but at the same time, he attacks you in your dreams. 
it's it's a realism the realism and of course they lost it you know with part two part three part four yeah. and so forth the thing that made and i i personally feel that the original nightmare on m street was really lightning in a bottle you cannot reproduce it you know even the remake you know cannot reproduce it you can touch every element came together even johnny depp's uh, crop top yeah. came together to to create um something really unique at the time and even today and every element came together and just worked it's just a well-oiled machine like you said freddy krueger the opening with, with you know with the, the smaller square the smaller framing that they have and mm. he's building his glove and the music and you know he's a child molester you know you get that even they don't they don't blatantly say it yeah uh, um you do get that uh, he's a dirty evil old man and he's real but then he's not real at the same time because you know he whacks you in your dreams but the fact that you feel that he's real when you have the dream sequences you're you're more afraid whereas opposed to you know part three where he's a buffoon then you're not as afraid yeah it's, it's you know it's the one thing that the way the, the one way way this movie really impacted me and i think i've talked about this before so forgive me folks for you that have listened but prior but um i used to suffer night terrors horrible yeah me too right and it, so it, i mean how does this movie not align with like i mean i'm wondering like i mean it's it's so interesting because i would lay there be as think i'm asleep wake up in my sleep and these shadowy figures would i mean i remember one vivid one i was staying with my brother and i was in uh I was in northern Nevada at his house. We're up there and I go to sleep and I got to drive the next morning back up to Montana. And, I'm, and all of a sudden I woke up and I was looking out the window of the bedroom I was sleeping in. And through the field of this new subdivision that they were building, these four dark shadows started walking my way. Mm. And I was scared. And all of a sudden, I, I, like a blink of an eye, I'm down in the kitchen. Like, oh shit, I think I was just dreaming. Thank God. Open up the fridge, grab something to drink, turn around, and there's the shadow figure. And then I wake up again and I'm on the stairs and I'm trying to run, but they keep stepping in front of me. And even though I can kind of see through them, I can't get past them. And I would have these kind of really intense, aggressive, they would be laughing, they'd come up, they would touch inside my chest, and I'd feel like a vibration and they'd leave. Yeah. I mean, and there, folks, there are documentaries, there's stuff all about these night terrors, these shadow people, if you will. But I also, I mean, I wonder how much of these shadow people was built off of, or how much of Freddy Krueger was built off these shadow people and these night terrors that have been going on for decades. Yeah, and they still don't have a uh, full-on scientific explanations for them. You know, they have theories mm -hmm. having to do with, uh, you know, REM sleep and, you know, you're in between both. But I've had, uh, you know, severe cases as well and you know yeah i don't believe it's dreaming or rem sleep and uh, when you feel something when i had one i'll just i won't please go too much into it but i had one but it was a good one actually uh, at first i was scared shitless but basically this i was in bed and i was kind of used to them now it was always the same thing i would freeze up i couldn't move only my eyeballs could move mm -hmm. and i'm like okay here we go again and uh, there was a figure in the corner and there was a woman with a, like a hoodie, like I couldn't see her. And then she came, you know, walked next to me and whispered in my ear and told me that not to worry that everything was going to be okay. And then she dropped water on my arm and then she left and then I unfroze and I had water on my arm and that's it. So for me, and I've wow. had a, 
I got a bunch of other ones, but I don't want to get into it. But anyways, for me, that was physical. You know, that was mm -hmm. a physical proof that there's more to this than, you know, I'm having a nightmare on John Street. You know, so. How much, how, uh, you know, get, getting into this little uh, nuance here, how, how do you visit, visit or see that, you know, that, that, that next dimension, you know, whether it's people thinks it's, you know, angels and demons or ghosts and goblins or, or whatever it is. You know, I mean, you, you practice in the art of bringing it alive onto the screen, but is there a part of you that thinks, hey, that dimension's out there? And Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. You know, I had once uh, uh, a girlfriend of mine, and um, anyway, she's not, was not a very nice person, and she, she actually kind of like swindled me while her boyfriend was in jail and used me for money among other things and anyways long story short the boyfriend came out of jail and she told me to, to f off and uh but she had psychological problems mm -hmm. and one night same thing the night terror thing you know freeze up my eyes and it's her and she's in the corner and she rushes towards me like a raging bull and it was the most frightening thing ever and as she got right in my face I, boom, I snapped out of it and she actually lived downstairs from the apartment where I used to live with my parents. And the next morning, uh, I found out that she was dead. She had committed suicide. She had popped a bunch of pills. Whoa. So, the, so the night before she came and so obviously she had already killed herself. So I've, I've been through enough uh, otherworldly experiences in my life to believe in it. You know, mm -hmm. um, sometimes you share with people, uh, you, you know, this, I, I don't really give a fuck. I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. And I do believe that, you know, when we die, we are energy and the energy is released. Angels, demons, not sure. Maybe they're just words, you know, uh, they're just words, angels and demons, goblins, monsters, they're words, you know, but I think there is, yeah, there's, there's another side. Yeah, no, I know. I agree with you. There's a there's an author. My mom gave me this book. I was probably a little too young to read it, but it, it impacted me greatly. Uh, it was Frank Peretti's uh, This Present Darkness. And it was about a small town, middle of, you know, bumfuck, who knows where. And uh, there was a uh, there was a Christian group and a non-Christian group. Right. And of course, you know, my mom's book. So they're battling. And it's yeah. the angels and the demons. But yeah. the interesting part of the book was is how it took the perspective. So one part was a person. So you'd, you'd read it in two stages. Sally's going, she's got her milk, she's walking to her car, right? And then you've got the demon's perspective of how they're talking about Sally as she's walking to her car. Hmm. And then the angel's perspective of, hey, we need to go intervene with Sally or let's see how this plays out, right? And it was, it was a very unique experience to, to read from those different perspectives because as you're it just got you more involved. It got you more engaged, you know, and, and uh, I like you, I mean, I've seen some crazy things all over this world personally that, that have you scratching your head and, and, uh, and have you wondering not only a what's next, but B, Hey, maybe, you know, planet earth, we need to put our egos in a little bit of check here. You yeah. know, we're, 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 yeah. we're acting pretty big. We're acting pretty tough. We're acting like we know everything. But to your point, like we don't, we don't know about shadow people. We don't, no. we don't know about these other dimensions. We, we can't, you know, we can see ghosts or see things move on camera. We can hear interactions. We can hear voices through different frequencies, but we don't really know how to engage them. 
And yeah. then the goofy things that engage them. I mean, you know, the, the Ouija board. It was invented yeah. by a Christian as a game of chance and playing. Now, what it turned into or how it evolved, inconsequential. It's just, it's, it's interesting that, you know, we're always trying to tap into something, whether it's in game form or in religion or in just personal experience, you know, whether you're visiting a, a graveyard or an abandoned, uh, you know, mental institution. I don't know why those are always so popular with the ghost hunters, but yeah. yeah. And, and what, you know, here's the, but I always ask this question too, how come there's no new ghosts? I mean, obviously you saw a new one, but I mean, you know, satirically a little bit, but it's, yeah. if two chains died tomorrow, right? Is someone going to see a two chains ghost in two weeks? <laughs> Oh, maybe, maybe his family, maybe his family will. That's true. Know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It, it's interesting though. The, the, the activity of the older ones is real aggressive, you know, and maybe that's just the fact that we're losing touch. You know, that, that's, a, that's always the thought think, that comes in. Yeah. I think you're onto something uh, definitely because in, in, in the old, in the old days, like, you know, before technology, people, people were more open to things, mm -hmm. you know, uh, meditate, although med meditation has made a comeback, but, we're so bogged down by what we've created, like social media and you know Twitter every five seconds, and, and our attention is on things that we've created that really that sound like an asshole really doesn't mean much. It's not reality, reality, it's reality that we have built. Mm -hmm. Hence, I sound like a pretentious fuck, yeah. ignoring the reality reality that is here. Does that make any sense? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, that's why I, love, I started this podcast. It was like, if we're going to talk about life and movies and, and dumb shit and just have fun, have it be for at least an hour. Because yeah. you know, have people engage and have people actually listen. Don't talk about sound bites. Dive into something if you want to. Have some fun. We're not experts. There's, there's, you know, sure we both are doctors and have PhDs behind our names, but that's inconsequential. <laughs> listen, we still exactly you know, yeah. share yeah. information. But exactly. It, but, that information and that sharing is, is also just, it's, it's how do you communicate? We've lost an ability to mm -hmm. really talk. You know, it's, I would say one of the greatest things, and I, and I mean this, you know, slightly tongue in cheek, but more importantly, I mean it as, by, by the way, the, the kid getting arrested in the, the black leather jacket and his jeans, I forget his name, the, the original boyfriend who, when his girl got all sliced up, he uh, looked Rod. a lot like, he Rod. Looked, yeah, Rod looks a yeah. lot like the Night Stalker. They've kind of set him yeah. up to look like the yeah, Night Stalker. He does little, actually. Right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I never thought about that actually, but he does. Yeah. But you know, it's but back to the, the the point here is you know is, is all this conversation and everything. It's people have forgotten how to communicate. They've forgotten that we could disagree on something and still have a conversation. That yeah. I'm not here to change your mind. I am here to learn from you. I'm here to see how you see the world differently and, and why you've chosen the things you've chosen. And, and hopefully that inspires somebody else. It doesn't have to inspire me. All, you know, all I want both parties to do is have an open mind and be like, Hey, let's just talk. And there's, you know, I had a gal on this gal, Deb O'Keefe lives here in town. She's a vegetarian. You know, she's, she's socially, uh, you know, very liberal with her thoughts. I'm not oh, good for her. Good for yeah, her. Good for I her. still want to hear from her because that yeah. makes then when someone else talks to me, I, I have an idea of where they're coming from in some capacity, if they follow the same thoughts and ideas and processes. And I'm not there to shut them down. I'm not there to turn them to my side. I don't care. All I care about is being able to spend time with them and learn and from them. That's, that's, not, that's not reality now, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, you know what, this is a question that I've been asking myself because, you know, we, 
basically right now, if you made mistakes when you were 15 and people find out about it, boom, you, you pay, you know, yeah. you're not allowed to have the luxury to have made mistakes, learn from them, evolve, grown into a 30, 40, whatever hell years old man or woman that you are today. You're not allowed now. So mm -hmm. if in 1984, you smack some girl's ass, you're, you're done. Yep. So, which I think is completely fucking ridiculous. Um, and if you don't think like the majority that is very vocal on social media, well, you're wrong and you're a piece of shit and you're out. My question is, it feels like it's the majority because they are the most vocal and judgmental and cutthroat about how we're going about things online right now. Mm -hmm. But are they truly the majority? Yeah, I mean, I would say no. I would, I would argue... That it's no, and then what happens is, unfortunately, and we're starting to see that cycle now, is they eat their own. Christy, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Christy Teigen just got fired from Target. All her stuff's getting thrown out of Target because she told a young singer and another person, you know, they should kill themselves. And told them, you know, she would just DM them. Mm. Hey, you know what? Or she said when Lindsay Lohan tried to kill herself, she goes when. Uh, Emma Stewart or I don't know, some other gal, right? When she, when she gets a new acting gig, that's just two more cuts into her wrist, you know? And it's, it was dark. That is pretty yeah. rough though. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. It's a, but she was also the person, you know, who was explosive on getting other people off Twitter. Like you need to get off and, hey man, if you want, it, you just gotta be careful. I'm with you, it comes back around. And yeah. I was a moron and an idiot at 20. Shit, I, at 48, I'm a moron and an idiot. <laughs> Okay, I just am, but I just, you know, I, I think it, it, it breaks my heart that we've created an environment where if you ask a question, right, you're, you're, you're a disruptor, you know, you're not following the party line, you're, you're hurting people, you're hurting, you know, I'm like, I'm asking a question, man. Yeah. I, I'm raising my hand, you know, and it, it really does, it breaks my heart and it bums me out because it's, it's just not, it's not equitable. It's not actionable. It's not, it, there's no way to build a society around it in, in any way, shape or form. You know, well, you can't. It's starting to feel like, uh, you know, fascist a little bit, uh, McCarthy era even. I would go with McCarthy era a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a great insight because yeah. it is, and it does tie into, you know, it's just, it's different, different people at the controls. You know, these, I, I always find it interesting when someone's like, oh, well, thank goodness I'm not the R or I'm not the D. I'm not a Republican or I'm not a Democrat because look what they yeah. do. It's like, hey man, None of you guys have clean shoes. Y'all been waiting in shit since the jump. Y'all been lying to people. You know, McCarthyism was Republicans. This time yeah. it's Democrats. In between, it was Republicans and Democrats again and again and again. Folks, you got to stop. I mean, you yeah. really, you know, the, the real monster is the fact that you keep giving power to these people. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and whether it's the squeaky wheel people or the people, you know, that are, that are making the rules that are, that are disenfranchising you. You're, you're giving them so much. I mean, I, I thought after COVID, I was like, man, COVID's taught us one thing, the power of a mayor, the power of a good governor, right? And, yeah. and a city council, right? You got you to really think about those things because at the end of the day, we are a republic. So the state's going to make the rules. You know? And then there's obviously some federal oversight, but states yeah. have a lot of power in this system. Figure it out, folks. Figure out who and where you want to vote and why. And, you know, it's, I remember I was talking to somebody and they had this thing, you know, it was right when uh, the elections were coming around. You got to vote. Everyone's got to vote. And I just asked a very simple question. And man, I got roasted. All I asked was, hey, question, 
do you really want me to vote or do you want me to vote for the person you're voting for? You asked for that one, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it, man. Put it out there, man. Come on. What do you think was going to happen? Well, but, you know, cause I, just, I wanted to highlight the hypocrisy and man, did yeah. I ever. People are yeah. like, well, why would you vote for the other person? Whoa, 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 whoa. Then stop telling me to vote. Tell me who to vote for. Mm -hmm. Just be honest. Right? You know, and, and I would say, that, you know, it, it's interesting because we only have this kind of, this fire in politics, you know, and I'll bring it back to the movie and the movies. There's no one that goes to a Western and says, if you go see a horror film, fuck you, John, we're not friends anymore. Right? Yeah. yeah. They might ask, hey, how come there hasn't been a really good horror Western? Fair. Yeah. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. But, you know, that, that it's, it's just as, as much passion as you can get out bringing out movies, right? As much as you can just get people engaged and do amazing things and boycotts and, and celebrations, it blows my mind that we'll do all that with movies and still be cordial. Yeah. But then this other stuff, we can't figure out how to be cordial. You know, when, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. there was a lot of, you know, a lot of bullies and stuff like that, you know, and there was, uh, and in hindsight, I realized that it was people that were unhappy with themselves. So hence to make themselves feel better about themselves, they would pick on, on others or people they perceived as weaker or whatnot. Uh, it's always easier to point the finger at somebody else mm -hmm. than to point the finger at yourself and then be self-aware and self-honest and pinpoint what's wrong and do the work to become a better human being. Uh, I've been very conscious of just that thematic, if you will. I've always done this, look at myself and, and try to be better. What social media has done now is taking that thing that in the 80s or even in the 90s before social media was a common thing on the playground or whatnot, you know, somebody unhappy with themselves and just picking on somebody weaker to make themselves feel better and not have to look at themselves because they're too busy criticizing others. What it's done now is made it huge, huge. I mean, look, I'm an old guy, all right? Who the fuck? Seriously, and I, no disrespect to anybody, but... I see people spend so much time on Twitter criticizing people that are more successful than them and, you know, stars or whatnot. Why? What? What? Is that what you do with your time? Don't you? Don't you have any goals? Don't you have any ambition? Like, I don't know. Pick up. Pick up a hobby. Knit a sweater. I don't know. Do something. So I feel that social media has basically given everybody carte blanche and an easy out on. Hey, I don't have to work on myself. I don't have to do this. I could do this across the fucking board. Yep. And that's why, in my humble and quite useless opinion, <laughs> that this uh, society is going to shitter. Hey, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, and I've been I've I've been caught up and, and made those mistakes in, on social and on on Twitter. I remember uh, during the kickoff of the the pandemic, I don't agree with the politics of, of our mayor, and he was kind of vocal. And then he decided to tell everyone in Austin that they, you know, obviously during the Thanksgiving holiday they should stay home and stay protected. Mm -hmm. And he did that from, well, he was hosting a party for 20 other people in Cabo. Yeah, the usual. Yeah. The usual, right? But you know, yeah. the, 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 but you're, you have the much more mature approach, the usual, right? Yeah. And I got on because I have a little access and was 
busting his chops a little bit, you know, and then, but the wisdom of other people around me, you know, someone actually messed me like, are you okay? Like, this is not <laughs> your personality. Like, you know, is, is the pandemic finally kind of getting to you? And so that happened. And then I was like, you know, I got to change my tone. So I changed my tone. I said something and I don't know, some guy chimed in very upset. You know, I, I hit a nerve somehow. I don't know how I was just trying to be positive. And uh, I went to his profile and his profile was, you know, life doesn't matter. Fuck the world. I hope we all die. And then the picture in his profile was Black Lives Matter. Okay. And so I only <laughs> responded and I said, hey, I looked at your profile. Thanks for not being private. Uh, you do matter. I didn't bring up the other shit. Hey, by the way, you're a contradiction. Da, 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 da. I just said, hey, you know, you matter. You matter. And he messaged me back. He's like, you know, no one's told me that. Hmm. I was heartbroken. I was like, dude, first of all, you shouldn't have <laughs> some old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> podcaster telling you you matter and it means something to you. That makes me really sad. You know, you bet yeah, you find better people. But you did a, you did you know you did a good thing. If 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 more people, I actually try to do that on a regular basis. You know, I've had you know on social see people. I'm off Twitter. Like personally, I just shut it off. It was too much negative energy, mm -hmm. and and the way it, it's easy to get sucked into it, and you're making noise and you're saying your opinion. But in my opinion, <laughs> again, it makes you're not making a fucking difference. Yeah. So what you're not truly making a difference. So why, for me, why am I going to spend energy bitching and moaning about things that are completely out of my control that I could bitch and moan all I want? I'm not going to change things. So I shut down Twitter because I'm like, it's too negative for me. I'm more of a Facebook guy and Instagram, you know, I put mm -hmm. pictures of me looking sexy. But on, on Facebook, I put it a lot. I see people that are down, especially during COVID, you know, and I reached out to people. I'm like, look, if you need, if you need uh, a talk, you know, let's get on Zoom. We'll talk, you know, and a lot of people, it's people that, I've supported my career for a long time, my, my varied endeavors. And I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to take this COVID thing, which was very negative, and take this social media thing, which can also be very negative, and just try to bring some positive into it. So sure. I think if more people would do that, like, like what you did with that guy, you matter. You know, that's, you know, he probably hears he's a piece of shit 24-7, but one person says you matter and that, you know, thank you. You know, it's positive energy. But people are using, the masses are using social media for the most part for negative energy, just to, to, to bitch and moan and complain and judge and point fingers. And, you know, I can't be fucked with that, man. You know, yeah. real, real life for me is when I do this on my laptop, that's real life, okay? It's yeah. the trees, it's the mountains, or right now it's the palm trees. It's my friends I'm going to go talk to. That's real life. All this shit is shit. It is. I mean, I, I, I think it can be used for engagement. I think it can be used for good. I think it, it could be. The problem is, is that quite honestly, that takes effort. Yeah. And there's too many lazy people yeah. that, that don't want the effort, right? They want the ease. And it's way easier to get a like, way easier to get a repost if you're negative or you get a sick burn on someone anything else you know and 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 the times are changing and it's going to come full circle I, I think it interesting i was watching the you know in the movie here she uh she gets the uh the no-dos you got i remember when we were kids growing up and you'll know this there was the ooh, don't take the caffeine pills you know and yeah the, the after school specials about the kid who took too yeah. many caffeine pills and oh my goodness he couldn't sleep <laughs> for two days 
Yeah. Now motherfuckers are walking into school with a Red Bull that has yeah. four times as much caffeine as those caffeine pills ever had. Yep. I mean, I wonder, like, does no one take a pause and think, do you think the human body all of a sudden can just absorb that much more caffeine and these kids are a-okay because it's kind of a soda? I mean, I just, they, it doesn't make any sense. Like I look at it, my kid's like, hey, can I go to Starbucks? I was like, no, you're seven. You're not going to Starbucks. You don't need coffee. I'll get a Frappuccino. That has caffeine in it. You don't need that shit either. And a fuckload of sugar too, yeah. Yeah, you don't need that stuff. You need water and milk and you know, and da, da, da. You, need that, you need stuff that helps you grow. Dad will take a coffee because I'm old and you keep me up all night, kicking and waking me up. But it's interesting that, you know, we've, we've had these moments of, of what seemed like clarity. And then you look back and you're like, nah, it's a speed bump. Nah, <laughs> forget it. You know, what, you know what, instead of less caffeine, let's see how much more caffeine we can give these kids. You know, <laughs> it's just, and once again, there's no rest. So your brain doesn't rest. You really calm down. You know, I, I like that idea. And, you know, you, the motion of you saying, I turned the world off. I'm, I'm closing the laptop. I'm done. I'm out. Right. I'm now I'm in the real world. I'm out of pretend. I'm out of fake business 101. I'm, I'm yeah. in the real world of people and my mental health. And nature and, 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 you know, and everything that's around you and the people that are actually in front of you. I mean, I, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to do that every weekend, phone off, laptop off. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it was beautiful. Now, you know, business, you know, for, for me, you know, I use the internet for business. So sure. um, I don't really spend much time um, socializing uh, on social, except, you know, comments here and there, whatever. Mm -hmm. But has this ever happened to you? You went to the store, you forgot your phone at home, you're waiting in line to buy something at the store, and you reach for your phone because you have that tick, that habit, but your phone's not there, and it's kind of bothering you because... You're used to just looking at your phone well, while you're waiting in line, you know? Yep. Exactly. So, we're, you know, it's like we've been, we're being conditioned, we're being reprogrammed. And I personally don't think it's the right way. Uh, nothing makes me, well, breaks my heart's too fucking strong. But when I, when I used to go to a pub when they were open and I would see a bunch of friends much younger than me and they're all sitting around a table with drinks and they're all on their phones. All of them, all five of them are on their phones as opposed to interacting with each other. You know, um, I don't know, man. It's just not no, the world I'm, that I know, bro. That's all. It, I'm with you. I mean, my neighbors, it's funny. I, I agree with you. We go, you go to the pub, right? To your point, yeah. people, phones, everything. Then, you know, I get with my neighbors and we're all about the same age within five, seven years. Driveway. I mean, we got our phones in case our wives text us. Yeah. We're in someone's driveway having beers. The kids are playing in front of us. The dogs are running back and forth. You know, we're yelling at cars to slow down and get off my lawn because they're driving through the subdivision too fast. That's, and the kids are watching us play and talk. And then someone might get on their phone to Google a fact because they know it's absolute bullshit of what I've just said. I've just totally made something up just to get under someone's skin, you know, to have some fun and, and, and do some rib tickling. But then the, the phone's instantly put away. It's like, no, 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 we're not here to look at our phones. We're here to yeah. hang out. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of dads here to hang out and have a good time. And I, uh, you know, I love it, man. I, I love those experiences. And, and to your point, I love closing. I love closing the computer as much as I love doing this. And I really do love doing this podcast. You know, it is, um, it's, it's because as there's a social element to it, 
It is our long form yeah. conversation. It's us hanging out. It, you know, neither one of us are on our phones, right? This, you know, and I, I've told this story a lot, but you know, the, the part of the foundation of this podcast, you know, I'm sitting in my, my uh, kitchen, I'm in my kitchen, I'm cooking Thanksgiving. And I love to go all out. I'm prepping for two days and I'm getting <laughs> stuff done and planes, trains and automobiles. One of my favorite holiday films is on. Great film, yeah, I love that. We got people over and at the end, it's my, it's my, it's one of my favorite cinematic moments of all time. When Steve Martin and John Candy are walking down the street together and they're holding that fucking case, you know, the thing that tripped him, it's just dragging yep. it through and it's still alive. No wheels. It's like you just hate it. And they get to the front door and he opens it up and his wife's there and his kids are there and parents. And he goes, let me introduce you to, and he introduces him to John Candy. And you see Candy miss his wife. But you see him see his new community, his new family. Yeah, you instantly yeah. know that they're doing that again. Yeah. Instantly, you know that. Definitely, yeah. And you know they're going to have to go track Candy down. And you know that you know there's you know he's not going to want to come. He's going to be the reluctant, dopey guy, and he's going to fuck up the bat. You know it's going to happen. But still, he's there. And we stopped everything. I stopped cooking. Turned the volume up. And then people are telling stories about their Thanksgivings when they were alone, and who they went to. Or, you know, my, my, one of my Thanksgivings where I didn't have anyone to see. So what did I eat? I ate two McRibs, right? And it's not, woe is Jason, that's so sad. It is more <laughs> of, hey, you get different experiences in life all the time. Definitely. All the time. And what do you want to make of them? You know, to your point of COVID, like, what do you want to make of it? Do you want to learn? Do you want to engage? Do you want to feel like to make yourself better? Create more positive energy when there's hardly any out there? Well, at the same time, figuring out a method of, of, of holding yourself and your core group accountable to ensure that you're growing, you know, some tough love to yourself first, or do you just want to complain, throw your hands up and then yell at anyone who doesn't have a mask on? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, they're both, they, they're both being done, but I, John, I'd say to your point, it's, it's a hell of a lot better world to have 10 positive comments out there than a thousand negatives. Definitely. You know, definitely. And, and put the people in your life to give you tough love, man. I mean, that's not for the masses. That's that's for that's for the people that are close to you. You know, it's for, it's for the husband, wives, brothers, sisters, cousins, whatever, best friends. Don't worry. You got good friends who are going to give you tough love. If none of your friends are giving you tough love, you need new friends. Yeah, you need better friends. That's for sure. <laughs> that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. I mean, I have you know, uh, Burge, Garabedian, Joe Blow. He's we've been friends since for about 25 years now or 24 years mm -hmm. and uh you know he busts my balls all the time and and i love it because yeah. he's you know he's an intelligent and a rational i'm more of an emotionally driven type of person he's more of a very rational practical driven kind of person and mm -hmm. uh you know if he wouldn't bust my balls uh, i wouldn't be as good of a guy as i am now oh yeah no um he is you know you you've got to have those people you have to have them in your life uh, and if you don't, you know, they will, um, you know, they're just, if you don't have that, you're lost. I'm sorry, you just are, you know, and, and not everyone has family that does it. And yeah. I would say that you shouldn't have family that does it. Get that friend, get the person who's not biased, get the person who, who you know, who's really going to say something to you, you know, that, that's going to risk it, right? Definitely, definitely. You know, you got to risk that's what it. a real friend does. That's what a real friend does, yeah. you know, tells it to you like it is, you know. Do you, um, what is, when you're looking at film school and what you went through, and then you see how the world is changing, 
what um, what is it about this new era of OTT and, and everything else that's happening and the way that film has changed that Amazon and Netflix have changed film? Is that helping you uh, in creating and doing more films or is that hindering it because so much garbage gets into, gets into the water? Oh, that's a multi-layered answer. <laughs> um, you know, before, before COVID, uh, I was going to do my second film as a director, you know, a much bigger budget, uh, COVID hit and it hit, you know, hurt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and after that, where we were going to shoot, which was in Armenia, a war erupted there as well. And that was oh, where it erupted was where all of our locations had been locked for a couple of years. Um, for me to get, you know, to, to, to get my first film, the shelter off the ground took me about three or four years. Um, this one, we're at about three years. So the process uh, outside of the studio system, obviously. So the, the process of getting a film off the ground is basically meetings, hustling, you know, it's a scavenger hunt, find a piece of money here, a piece of money there, tax credits, wherever you shoot, put it all together and hope that at the finish line, it doesn't all crumble, uh, finding your star and all that. It's, it's, it's a bunch of pieces and it takes years uh to accomplish and then when you finally do and then you shoot your movie and everything like that then that's a whole other ball game but for me i haven't directed a film since the shelter in 2016 uh, and since then all i've been doing in terms of filmmaking i had little acting roles here and there and screen screenwriting uh jobs here and there but all i've been doing is meetings and and hustling and and that's it so ask me how streaming is changing distribution right now mm -hmm. i know there's less money out there um i know it's harder to finance films if you're not uh you know if you don't have warner brothers behind you or whatnot um yes there's a lot more content which basically means that everybody's lowballing you so yeah. in terms of ma making your money you know making your investors money back or your money back if you invest yourself it's harder um i think it's become much more difficult to be a um financially lucrative business. Um, with that said, you know, technology is really advanced. You can make a really good looking movie for very little, but the secret is how do you pop? How do you stand out? How do you stand out from the million other, like, you know, I, I run Arrow on the Head. I still, you know, manage Arrow on the Head. I get countless press releases a day for, you know, horror movies, low budget horror movies or whatever. Countless of them. Movies that I never heard of and whether the press release goes up or not, I will most likely never hear of again. So how do you stand out? How do you pop? So uh, if I had the answer, I would tell you. Um, it surely helps, I think, to be um, social media savvy and um, just really find a way for your film to get out there uh, you know, on the proper websites or whatnot. Yeah. You know? When you're when you're making a horror film like like the shelter, right? Which I guess is more of a mystery thriller, but yeah, it's I, it's it's my it's my it's my art film. You know, I finance the shelter myself, so I could do whatever fuck I want. So it's <laughs> my I could do whatever the fuck I want movie because even if it doesn't recoup, it's my money. So yeah. that's what that was. You know, when you take other people's money, you have a responsibility to to make sure that you give it back. But sure. when you spend it yourself, then you know, it's very artsy, very existential, uh, a lot of Catholic guilt in there. And, uh, <laughs> and also very Lynchian in the way that there is no, 
uh, it's not spelled out for the audience at the mm -hmm. end, you know, you kind of make up your own mind. But your question was, sorry, I went on a tangent. No, you're fine. Uh, no, so the, the question is, is how do you take, and, and I think a lot of people struggle with this, right? Whether even in the real world, in, in their jobs, uh, how do you take an idea that's in your head, this concept of this movie, and then you put pen to paper and then you got to write it down, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you go from writing it down, then you got to get back into your brain and think about the special effects of what you wanted to create the scene that makes it happen. And then how do you make sure your expectations of what you've created live up to what's in your head? They never do. They never do. <laughs> no, 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 but they really, they never do. Ask anybody, ask even, you know, ask your Scorsese's, ask people with millions and millions of dollars. They mm -hmm. never do. That's just it. You're never, you're never... From all the artists I've met, the filmmakers that I've met, we everybody has the same thing. You're never fully satisfied. Uh, there's an old saying that says, um, "Any work of art is never finished; it's abandoned." And and I agree with that. Like the shelter, you know. I mean, I had, I'm 80, 85 percent happy with it, and I tinkered with it and tinkered with it. And with the footage that I had, it was a low budget film, so you know, I didn't have coverage of the yin yang, you know, I had to work with, with uh, what I had. And at some point I just had to let it go because uh, I just wanted to move to the next step, which was, you know, color correction, sound design, sound mix, and then festivals and distribution, and then, you know, repaying uh, myself because, you know, I, I used all my credit cards, my line of credit, all my savings, everything to make that movie, you know? So I needed to move forward because, you know, I like ramen noodles when I'm a grown man, but I don't like them that much. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I don't think you're ever happy. And, and, and the process of making a film from writing it to shooting it to editing it, um, you make a movie three times, really. You make it when you write it, then you make it when you shoot it. And one of the most exciting parts for me is when you edit it, because then it, it's, it, it, it will be different than what you wrote, because what you shot will inspire, give you other ideas, and you could take like a reaction shot from here and put it there and it changes the whole moment. So it's, uh, you make a movie three times. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating process. And you know, what you said at the end there, you, know, you, you max out your credit cards, you, you, you're, you're taking all, do you, I, I wonder, you know, in this world, if you, are there not enough people taking chances I mean, are there not enough people that are aggressively going after their dreams like you did? You wanted to make your movie. You're like, I'm not answering to fucking anybody. So I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. writing the checks, I'm making my movie, I'm getting my stars, I'm doing everything. You know, the, the idea that, you know, Joe Rogan always says, hey man, you gotta work out every day. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta squell that, you gotta squash the demons. You know, you gotta make those demons yeah. tired. Yeah. I'm wondering if we're at a tipping point where because life's become so easy, right? Amazon deliver it to you today. Shit, you got to wait 48 hours. They promised 24. I'm on Yelp and I'm giving a one-star review, right? I mean, we've got this attitude and yet you're taking a, a process and breaking it down into three individual processes and then putting your money and time behind it, knowing you're not getting paid while you're doing all this. You're hoping at the end, everything comes to fruition and then you get paid. Is that the failure that we're at now that we're two apps, than we are time and dedication and perseverance and pain. Oh, I, I definitely do things. I mean, look, things being like, I, I don't even like having like electric windows. 
I like I like rolling them up. Um, no, of course, things in my days when I was a young man, everything was work. You wanted porn, I didn't just go. I had to go in the field, and somebody would always leave a stack of Playboys there. I'm like, all right, gold, gold, Jerry, gold. You know, uh, everything um, demanded effort. And when everything demands effort, that builds character. If everything is given to you or everything is easy, in my opinion, it does not build character. And and for me, you know, I remember when, because I did try to find outside financing for the shelter, but everybody read the script and I said, what the fuck is this? And I agree, actually, in hindsight, at the time, I didn't realize it. But in hindsight, yeah, who the fuck would finance this? It's a weird, totally out there movie that's obviously uh, very personal to me. Um, and I remember it was the end of the year and I had everything locked. I had Michael Perret, my lead locked. I had the locations locked, I had my crew locked and I was trying to raise the money and I wasn't. And then it came to that crossroads. So it's either I say, okay, movie's not happening. So everything, everybody pack it up, not happening. Or I put everything I got. And my rationale at the time was, well, what's money? <laughs> yes, you need money to live, obviously, you know, but it's really a, piece of paper with number on it that we say is important and this is a goal I don't like the word dream by the way I like goal you know for me this has been a goal and here I am I have everything set up so so what I'll be broke uh, I I'll always find a way out I've always that's you know one of my talents personally is I've hit rock bottom but I always find a way back out always 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 so I have that confidence in myself that I'll, I'll hustle out you know so I said, fuck it, man. Fuck it. Let's go. Let's go make a movie. And, you know, and I don't regret it. I mean, did the shelter become the new saw? No, of course, it wasn't that kind of movie, but I'm very proud of it. And, you know, I've had it's actually the only thing I've done. That hit a nerve with some people who would then, you know, like I had one gentleman who was a recovering alcoholic and he said, you know, I watch a movie and 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 it really touched me because the, the guy in the movie is a hardcore alcoholic. So it's the only thing where I had a, f a feedback. Yes, ho some horror fans liked it, but also a lot of people kind of saw themselves into it and just reached out to say, yeah, it moved me, it touched me. Some other people, because it has to do with faith as well, it inspired me to renew my faith. So that kind of feedback was, was priceless to know that I've touched people, you know, where pretty much everything I did before is just, you know, blowing shit up and, yeah, which is fine too. I mean, there's yeah. nothing like that, you know, but it was the first time that, I managed to touch people, so which was kind of cool for me. That's very. So cool. It was all worth it. It was all worth all the hassle, ramen noodles, uh, you know, uh, doing side uh, script doctoring jobs to, to pay the bills, all that stuff. It was all worth it. I wouldn't trade it for nothing. What um, What part of your life growing up in, in Canada, or, or maybe it was your parents and Canada, but if you could break down a little bit, you know, John growing up that created not only this work ethic but this desire, this strength that says, yeah, I'll make it. I mean, yeah, okay. I'm, well, for me, it was, uh, wow, that's, a, I had it rough from the get-go. Okay. So, so I think, but I kept surviving. So I think that, that, that just over time built strength and, and character. Um, you know, my, my, my family is a f fairly, you know, blue collar, you know, low, not low class. I don't want to say that, you know, but, you know, we weren't rich, you know, mm -hmm. we we're very blue collar. You know, my dad's a mechanic. You know, my mom was a secretary or a stay at home mom. Um, and I remember when I was 15 years old 
or 14 years old, I, I told my family I was going to go in the arts. I was going to be an actor. I was going to be a director, uh, you know, and they kind of laughed it off. And I'll always remember my mom saying, uh, look, we're, we're born to have very little. It's, uh, there's an expression in French, to, to aîné pour un petit pain. You are born for a little piece of bread. So just appreciate your little piece of bread and just, you know, so they expected me to be like, you know, a mechanic or something like that. And I always remember that. And I said to my mom at the time, something along the lines of, okay, well, maybe that's your life. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be mine. Uh, that's not what I want. And uh, that moment has fueled me up to now. Wow. You know? um, I'm very uh, stubborn. Uh, I want to achieve my goals at all costs. And, and even if I fail, at, you know, if at the finish line I fail, then I fail. At least I gave it everything I have. So for me, it's more important the journey is more important than the end result. You know, I, I'd rather keep going for what I want and fail than sit on my sit and, and do something else that doesn't fulfill me. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. It does. You know, it's um, it's interesting where we draw from or pull or, you know, where that initial inspiration or that go response comes from. Right. I mean, uh, and I, I always, I always like hearing people's responses of, of their life as a kid and, and what it looked like that, that put them where, where they're at today. Because to me, like I take a step back and I look and I didn't, I didn't necessarily have one of those moments mm -hmm. as much as I had a lot of, of moments. I remember my parents being like, Hey, we're not sending you to college. You're not going to college. You're not smart enough. You're not smart enough to go to college. Right. Mm -hmm. We just don't trust that you can do it. I remember getting out in the real world and they're just like, hey, you know, you should probably do this job. It's easier. You know, uh, you just got a lot of big ideas, Jay, but, you know, big ideas. Come on now. Can you do them? I don't really know if you can do them. Uh, and it took me, you know, it took me 15 years in the workforce, bouncing around from job to job to figure out confidence in a place where I wanted to be, where I could grow and do something and then kind of blaze my own trail, you know, uh, and, and try to do things differently. And it's interesting because you look back at the people that, you know, whether they busted your chops or, or anything else, you know, it's, I look back at my mom who was very religious. She wanted me to become a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, I failed, right? I just, I didn't, I didn't do God's calling that she thought I should, I should do. Mm. And, you know, it's, it, um, I tell people all the time, I go, hey man, you got to do you and you're going to offend some people. You're going to frustrate some people. You're going to annoy some people. Those are all okay. Don't exile people, right? If they exile you, that's their choice, right? Mm -hmm. And if someone's bad for you, you know what? Tell them why they're bad for you. Tell them, uh, give them an option, give them an out, give them, a, give them a reason to be better and to help you be better, you know, create a partner, but don't exile them. And you know, my, uh, for a while, my, you know, my mom chose to exile me and she was just like, no, nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your family or your, your kid, nothing. You know, my real dad, he's engaged. And now, you know, when before he wasn't, let's say, and, uh, you know, but it's, it's a unique challenge. And now, you know, I talk to my real dad and we're more like uh, friends and mentor than we are father and son because of divorce and parents mm -hmm. and everything else. But I can talk to him and he'll say things that they're like, I had my stepmom call me because my numbers shot up on the podcast. They're, they're starting to do really well. Uh, 
we're at, let's see, you know, for the week, where are we at? We're at for the week, I was, I'll, I'll do a little humble brag here. We're at the week right now, we're recording on 517. You know, for the last seven days, we've had uh, 180,000 downloads. That's pretty good, dude. That's good on know. you, man. Not terrible, right? For Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. It's very good. For, for a knucklehead, chatting it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my dude, step- you know, so you got to, you know. You got to get a message from my mom, though, my stepmom, who I haven't had a very good relationship with, right? I get this, e- I get a text. Can you call me? Plane lands. Mm-hmm. I'm getting out to do some work. I, uh, I call her. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She goes, hey, I just wanted to call and let you know I'm proud of you. Well, that's so Your nice. numbers are really good. First time she's ever done that. She goes, you know, I've thought this a lot when I've watched you grow, but I'm not really, you know, and, and she goes, so I just, I wanted to, you know, uh, I, I, I got to do better. I wanted to call you. And I was just like, holy shit. Wow. I don't think she'll ever know how much that meant to me. I don't think she will. Because when you don't get it, you don't get it. Right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you, you didn't switch it off. Uh, like, I didn't get it either. Mm-hmm. Even when I started to, to get some success, when, when you know, I, was, I had my own TV show here in French, or when I remember when uh, the shelter you know, played at Sitges at Fright Fest and, uh, you know, premiered here in Beverly Hills, uh, you know, and it's not knocking my parents at all, but because I love them very much, but they didn't really give a shit. <laughs> I, I felt they didn't give a shit. And, and then I just stopped. That's when I, that's, I had my epiphany there with stop giving a fuck up, stop wanting your parents approval stop giving a fuck what anybody thinks and just do your thing and that's when i switched like 100 percent on that and now i really and it's a beautiful place to be really couldn't give two fucks about what anybody thinks about what i do or what i should do or or i don't need anybody's validation or anybody's pat on the back i just do my thing and it's um liberating if you're able to achieve that that level yeah it is, it's great, but it's also, it's, it's, it's good that it's a good perspective. And I, I don't want people to miss that, that nuanced perspective you have, where it's like, you figured out what your parents care about and what they like about you and when the parts of your life they want to be engaged with, and maybe an area where it's not their top priority. Mm-hmm. And then you took a, you took a, a choice, right? You made a choice. You're like, I can keep shoving this down their throat or I can just be like, that's not your thing, but it's my yeah. thing. I'm going to keep yeah. doing it. And then we're going to find relatable ground over here. We're going to hang yeah. out and talk and do everything. And you're going to ask me the question that's going to be a little bit ridiculous about the movie or something else. And I will obligingly answer knowing that it's the complete wrong fucking question to ask. And if you guys would have listened to me 10 years ago, when I started doing this, you would have known you would have, you can get all worked up and mad about that. Or you can just put your hand and be like, yeah, you know what? This is where our relationship is. And I'm not yeah. going to hold them to a standard that is family ties. Exactly. So, you know, we talk about other stuff, you know, and it's okay. You know, yeah. it's okay. I've made, I, like I said, I've made peace with the fact that I'm not going to get the validation from them that I've always yearned for, but mm-hmm. it's okay because I'm, I'm it's going to sound so fucking cheesy, but I'm happy with myself. I am. And that's enough. You know, I'm happy with what I've achieved, what I'm still trying to achieve. And that's pretty much all I need now. You know, how I feel about myself. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting that the, you know, the, the validation point, you know, and, and finding that uh, I might, I have my daughter do this and I, I tell other people, maybe I'm having a bad day, try this and it's hard, but are you going to give yourself self-validation, right? So are you mm-hmm. going to go look in the mirror, like just out of the shower, right before you go to bed, just look in the mirror, say, I love you to yourself and mean it. 
Can you do that? Have you gone through enough that you know, you already know your ugly sides. You already know your great yeah. sides. You already yeah. know you need to work. It's great to know all those things, but can you d- drill down into the why? And can you drill down into the who? Because it always comes back to you, right? That's the person in the yep. mirror. Mm-hmm. And then can you still love that person? Because if you can't, then you're always going to be looking for that validation from a second party. You're yep. always going to be looking for something else, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because you, you haven't taught yourself to get it from you, from the inside. And then honestly, how good's your work? How proud are you of, of, of anything you've worked on if it didn't come, if a part of it didn't come from you? Right? I mean, then, yeah. then who are you? If you're a fucking Definitely. nobody writer who's just using somebody else's words, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're not a conduit in any way. It's, uh, it's tragic, you know, I, uh, and, and I do mean that as tragic that, that people haven't figured out how to love themselves a little better or they, they, have it, they, they keep looking for and they keep trying to find people. And this is where you get burned, folks, in relationships. You're trying to find someone to, uh, to link up with that'll give you the validation that you need. Mm-hmm. But is that real validation? And it's not real love either. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's none of those things. I noticed in the, in the, in the, the podcast, the hard left turns, I, uh, I noticed you've got some ink. What? Um, oh, yeah. I've got a lot of ink. So, you know, uh, some yeah. people get tattoos just to get tattoos. Uh, I ran a tattoo competition once, gave, giving away a Harley. Uh, very interesting people got those tattoos trying to win. <laughs> Probably should have bought a couple more Harleys, but uh, there was a guy named uh, Kenny Marvin, Federal Washington. It looked like uh, the beer logo was like the uh, Wyoming license plate, Bucking Bronco. He got the tattoo on his body, proportional. So it was, I mean, it, it, it wrapped around his whole body. It was a 58-inch tattoo, bright Shit. red, Bucking Bronco horse, put on him by a little person. And if you forgot his name, don't worry about it because it's tattooed on his forearm and his forehead. Satan. <laughs> Uh, and he had a bright green <laughs> mohawk course. that, you know, that was like, you know, four feet yeah. tall. And second place, the guy who didn't get anything had a 28 inch tattoo of Shit. the same thing, proportional. He got his in the Montana State Penitentiary, and his name was Chainsaw, not his God given name. <laughs> <laughs> now you'd think. But the, you know, the, the, the motivation for them was I'm going to get a Harley and only one person got it and everyone else lost. And there's like 30 other people there with varying sizes of this replica tattoo, you know, and some people get them for that reason. But what, what made you get yours or what started your tattoo? Oh, I have many. So, 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 you know, it's a whole a bit of a diary, really. I mean, I have my first one is here is a tiger. So okay. I was drunk. After um, I was I was amateur boxing with my boxing team and we kind of won a uh, like a championship championship thing and we went and partied and got drunk and got tattoos so that's that's one I'm not gonna go through the whole thing because a lot that's of it's fine. personal so you have to actually have to know me but this one is the latest uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you could see it oh that's nice yeah uh, there you go it's gorgeous yeah this one I had I got it done during the pandemic. And it's the Jerusalem cross, it's called. It's a, a symbol that is used uh, by the Crusaders, uh, you know, in the 1100s, 1200s, during the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And I had that done. I was actually going to have this one done right before I was going to shoot my, my second feature, a Heretic, it's called, which takes place during the Crusades, um, about Templars and, and uh, 
you know, a third journey after losing the second crusade. So it's a bit, um, I would say, Unforgiven meets Apocalypse Now a little bit. Okay. And I was going to have it done right before the shoot. But then, you know, COVID, the war in Armenia. And while I was in uh, during the pandemic, I said, you know, what? I'm going to fucking have it done now because I'm not going to rest until I make that fucking movie. So, so I had it done. The reminder, you yeah. know, the, the, yeah. the accountability. I, I love it. Do it, you know, uh, what do you think about the, uh, cause you've done that you're, you're, you're in the process of making the movie and, and, uh, you know, in my humble opinion, it will get made, right? Uh, oh yeah. I won't, it'll get made or, you know, it's a do or die trying. That's, that's basically how I go about things. I have, I have zero questions in my mind that you're going to get that fucking movie made. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank after, you. After, after, after just talking to you a little bit, I can say, oh, I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> I, thank I you. do, you know, I, I do wonder, uh, you know, in the, in the patience and understanding of getting there, right? And as we're talking about tattoos and motivation, uh, how much research goes in for you into making a film? Like, did you get deep into the Knights Templar? Did you, oh, yeah, did you go down time. the rabbit holes? Of oh, big time, big time, big time. Their Christ's Huge. bloodline to everything else in between? Huge. I, I didn't go, you know, Da Vinci Code. Okay. But uh, it went, yeah, no, I went I went pretty deep. It's just a story, just, you know, to discover the history and, and, and what it meant. I read and read and read and read and watched documentaries and documentaries and documentaries. Um, yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of continuation of the shelter, you know. I don't want to eternalize too much, but you know, I was raised Catholic, and I had a bit of an up and down with my faith. Um, and when I did the shelter, which is also you know has faith elements into it, I kind of started studying theology and whatnot, and kind of got sucked into the uh, the truth. Just find the truth, you know, behind that and that and that and that and that and I kind of I kind of became really fascinated with with just Christian history and 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 everything that led us to where we're at now and so when my second feature came about which obviously is about the Templars they almost became a continuation of the research I, I started with the shelter and now it became a continuation and it 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 became research but also a hobby a passion I mean I've been to to Bruges I've been to Spain uh, at old Templar sites uh, before COVID, obviously, um, visiting old Templar churches and stuff like that. So I, it became a passion mixed in the project. If that makes nice. Sense. Yeah. How do you, how do you, because uh, you've brought it up a couple of times, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I struggle, I've gotten my ups and downs with, uh, with faith as well. I mean, I went to mm-hmm. Bible college. I was a pastoral ministries major. Uh, they, uh, they politely asked me to leave. Mm. <laughs> Uh, you know, I like to gamble. I like to drink. I like to play pool. Uh, there yeah. are some vices in my life that, that I enjoy that, uh, that, that obviously aren't, aren't for them and, and, aren't, and aren't for, you know, the way that they're teaching, which is fine. But uh, in my struggles, it's interesting. I've, I found my faith struggles or my religious struggles have never come with the basic words. They've come with the people that surround them. Mm-hmm. Right, the layering that they do. It's like, oh, this is the bad thing you can't do. So I'm going to build some fences and say that these are the bad things. So you never actually do the bad thing because you have to do all these other bad things that only I've said are bad. You know, or so I'll get a person who goes, you know, my faith is based on Christianity and the King James version, mm-hmm. King James Bible. And I go, okay, well, you know, the King James that Bible was basically it was Bible for dummies. It was a 
it was it was a king that wanted to piss off a pope so he mm -hmm. made a bible that everyone could read and they're yep. like that's not true <laughs> it's like yeah it is not only is it true it's hilarious that you're basing your whole doctrine like it's like they just go to one source right yeah yeah and and you know and and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but those are some of the things where I look back and I see faith that I get um, drawn away from it. Like those, you know, I, I, and, and I've got good pastor friends and, and, and people, but it's still, they'll come to me and they're like, Jay, you should come back or you should speak. And I go, y'all don't like my questions. And you're too caught up on making someone happy versus just being honest and saying the truth and not worried about who you're going to offend. I don't know. That's my take on it. I don't, but you brought it up a couple of times. So I wanted to bring up a little bit of religion because I just wanted to, you know, have no, that's it. fine. That's Catholic fine. Catholicism is obviously a little bit different, but, um, well, you know, my base was Catholic and, but you know, there's a lot, the way I go about it now, it's very personal mm -hmm. and it's like, I, I don't give a fuck what, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a Baptist, if you're a Protestant, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Muslim, I don't care what you are. Okay, it's your faith, it's your belief. And if you've stopped at this is the book and this is where I stopped, that's your choice as well. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm, you know, I actually have it written, I think, on my, yeah, on my profiles on Insta and Facebook. Um, student of life, seeker of truth. That's, that's, that, that pretty much encompasses how I handle faith because, you know, in my opinion, I always play it safe with that one. In my opinion, you know, uh, the Catholic religion, you know, was manipulated by men. Any religion was manipulated sure. by the powers that be at the time to, to, to guide the sheep to where they wanted the sheep to go. So what I do is I read and, and I read different takes on everything and then make my own opinion uh, about what is truth and what is not truth. So I'm more cons consistently uh, seeking and trying to get to the bottom of things for myself. I love That's it. how I go about faith, yeah. Well, it's interesting because it seems like the way you go about faith is the way you go about life and work in general, which is putting yeah. the work in, putting the effort in. You know? yeah. uh, but, but it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me. You know, it's enjoyable, you know, just because if you tell me this wall is black, John, but I see blue, I'm going to find out why you think it's black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so, so for, for me, it's a pleasure to try to, 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 to peel away the onions and, and, and see really what's there. So, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, and a common theme and one that I find when I talk with successful people have, you love to learn, like you're learning to learn. It seems like yeah. I mean, you start with one movie and it inspired knowledge and learning to do another movie so that you mm -hmm. could learn some more so that you're learning to learn and you're not, you know, I mean, obviously not wasting your time on Twitter and, and other so, social channels get, getting worked up. We've talked about that, but yeah. the learn to learn part was, were you good at school or is there just an innate passion in you that says, you know what, I'm just driven a little differently. Yeah, no, the second one. No, I, I was okay at school, but I was too busy being a class clown trying to get attention because I had low self-esteem. So, you know, but you know, no, I'm, I was, I was good. I was good, but uh, I don't know, man. You know, look, we, we all see life the way we see it. You know, for me, life yeah. is, is about, we only have one life, really, one. You know, who knows what's after, but this one here is, it's one shot, one shot deal. So for me, it's, I do what fulfills me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all. You know, and I don't care what people say or this, and I don't care how much money I have in the bank, and I don't, you know, I just want to keep 
doing what fulfills me. That's all. The, those actions are the actions of a person that lives for today and, and builds a legacy for tomorrow. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. They, really, they really are. Those, those, those are the pinnacle actions. Those are the pieces that are, that are put into place uh, that do that. And so it begs the question then, what's, what's the legacy you want to leave? Like when it's all said and done, are there certain things that when people look back on your life, John, that they're going to go, you know what? There it is. Like you want them to know that not necessarily what you accomplished per se, but maybe something different. Well, I, yeah, no, um, I try to, you know, I, I know, you know, arrow on the head, that's, that's mm -hmm. going to be part of it in terms of accomplishments, the shelter on a smaller scale. Um, I hope heretic, you know, will, once I do it, will leave its mark as well. I think, I think my legacy will be that is that because I had such a difficult life, but somehow um, managed to keep overcoming and stay strong and grow and evolve, then when I became like here now or, you know, five years ago, what, whatnot, it put me in a position to be able to, to help people who were in similar scenarios that I was when I was younger, but now I'm mature. I got my head on my shoulders and I'm able to help them and pull them out of it. I've been doing that a lot, helping people that mm -hmm. don't have the, the toolbox that I've managed to develop over the years because of a fairly difficult life. So I would like that to be my legacy that, Hey, you know, that John guy helped me out, you know, and that, John Guy did good things and helped people out. And I would like that to be my legacy, I guess. Would you ever uh, write a book about your past, the struggles you went through? And mm. No, not really. I tried mm. once and I, I don't like going backwards. I like focusing on the present and the future. There's no point really in me um, just reliving that to okay. any degree emotionally. I tried, I did like one page and I'm like, yeah, fuck that, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> so, you know, no, no, no. But I am I am writing a book uh, right now. Um, half of it will be my arrow in the head reviews, some of my favorite ones, my more out of line, more politically incorrect ones. And the other half is a bit of a kind of a bio about how it was for me as a pioneer of film websites and what I went through when when it was the wild west when the studios didn't know what to do with us and okay we'll just treat them like rock stars and and that whole journey path a journey whatnot that i lived so i'm writing that right now so that's as far back as i want to go i don't really you know yeah my no, life is tough whatever yeah so I, I think that's interesting and and i want people to take note of that you know I, I think some people two people get caught up in well i have to write my memoirs now because this person did it and they had a rough time and they wrote their memoirs and da -da -da -da, look and there's different strokes, different approaches for different folks, right? Yeah. And, and the approach of eyes forward and, and knowing the, uh, the arrows that are in your quiver based on your past, those are your arrows, it's your quiver. But then marching forward and then using your knowledge and your in, insight and expertise to help people. And then yeah. they can ask and, to, and you know, it, it develops a relationship and develops uh, th those pieces. But I have a question for you here because you're very measured in your commentary and insights, and you always put Thank some, you. you know, my, my, my humble opinion, but here we go. Yet then your book's gonna have these politically incorrect takes. Give, mm -hmm. us, give us a glimpse into what this looks like, if you don't mind, please, if you can. Well, I don't know if you, you know of my reviews or maybe it was before your time, I don't know. 
But in my reviews, like I said, when I started Arrow on the Head and I started reviewing as the Arrow, I was inspired by Andrew Dice Clay, Sam Kinison, and to a certain degree, Howard Stern later down the road. So you know the brand of humors these gentlemen have, which oh, is, yeah. you know, which is, uh, you know, some will call them misogynistic, as others will call racist or, 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 or homophobic. Um, you know, I have a line, for example. Uh, this movie bitch slapped me so hard, Ike Turner style. You know? Oh, okay. So, I get you now. There we go. So in 2003, that flew. Everybody laughing their asses off. Today, I would release that same review with that same line. They'd burn, they'd, you know, they'd send the, the pitchforks and the, and the torches, you know, yeah. because now we're, we're in an environment. You know, same thing with Eddie Murphy, for example. Take Eddie Murphy, the joke, the gay jokes he does in Delirious and Raw, you know, have them happen today. That's not going to fly. So the environment has changed. With that said, there are people that are in their 40s and their 50s or even their 30s that grew up with. I've had a lot of filmmakers tell me I grew up with your reviews. I grew up with your stuff that would like to read them. And even though, yeah, it's not politically correct by today's standard, they still find it fucking funny mm -hmm. because we used to be able to have humor, even though, uh, I'm not even going to get into that shit. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So no, anyway, I, I so, know what you mean. Yeah. so, you know, I figured I would release, you know, some of my, what I, more biting reviews and in a book form. So the people that care will buy it. And the people that don't care won't, and they're not online anymore. So there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to read them, don't read them. Don't buy the book. I don't give a fuck. It's all good. I like you know, but that's that's an attitude that comes from, and I want people to be, understand this. That comes from an attitude of of confidence, of growth, of someone who's not just accomplished something, but you've accomplished something your way, and in accomplishing it your way and finding not just success, but, but, but finding a comfort inside yourself. Right. I think that's, I think that's a key thing. I think some people think success is dollar, dollar bills and look what I bought. I'm successful, mm -hmm. but I would, I would argue, right. That, that success is, you know, especially for you, the way I see it and I could be wrong and tell me if I am, but mm -hmm. the level of comfort in who you are that after a childhood and religion, everything else, right. That after all that's happened, that in a world, especially in a world where you work in, where rejection is paramount number one. Oh, yeah. Right? It's just paramount number one. And then everything else falls. And you get lucky, blah, blah, blah. But rejection's paramount number one. And all of that, you figured out a way to not just navigate, but have a positive um, attitude and, and look forward, march forward, and still, even then, find time to help people out, give them insight, give them guidance. Uh, and then on top of that, right, you're still being productive yourself. And Isn't that what life's supposed to be about? It's what it's I mean, supposed to be what about. It is. That's what it's for me. So that's yeah. it. Yeah. And that is what it's supposed to be about. But what it's supposed to be about and what people do are completely different. Which... Yeah, but that's that's their choices. You know, that's their, yeah. that's 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 their choices in terms of if you want to spend your life focusing on other people's lives and criticizing them, knock yourself the fuck out. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm focusing on my stuff and I'm living a life the way I want to live it. So that's it. Yeah. I love it. I wonder now, you know, we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of the movie here, but I got to ask you in the two things in the grand scheme of things, is there mm -hmm. an actor that you really want to work with that, you know, down the road, you're like, hey, man, if I'm writing a script or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I really want this actor attached to it. Or do you 
do you focus more on the story and then, you know, inconsequential of who the actor is? Yeah, no, it's inconsequential. Okay. Um, I will say that Sylvester Stallone was a huge influence on me uh, growing up. Um, my father was not really present. And Sylvester Stallone is, you know, Rocky, Rambo. Mm -hmm. uh, even his life story is who I zoned in on. Uh, it's funny, on my Facebook, before I came to L.A., I, I put up a quote from Over the Top because I watched it before I took my flight. And Stallone says to the kid, uh, you know, the world meets nobody halfway. If you want something in life, you got to take it. And when I saw that movie, I was, I was fairly young, you know, early teens, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that line stamped, stamped on me. The world meets nobody halfway. If you want something in life, you got to take it. And that switched me. I always remember that. So Stallone really uh, helped me. And I, I know actually for a fact, he helped a lot of people, you know, a lot of people around the world. His own personal story was an inspiration to me. He was born poor, half his face paralyzed, you know, a bum, no money. Everybody told him he wouldn't make it. And he did Rocky, he held off even though he was broke. And then he did Rocky. Anyways, and then boom, next thing you know, he's being nominated for Oscars. Now he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world. So Stallone will always be, uh, you know, it was a special, special uh, actor for me. An artist, actually, not just actor, writer, director. Sure. Uh, for Painter. me, that, that inspired my own path, if you will. So. Nice. No, I, I, uh, I love his story. You know, I, I think that he's, a, he's an important player in, not in the game of movies. I think he's an important player in the game of entrepreneurship. Right. And just in the in in the game of success and going after the world and finding what you want and, and getting it and, and taking the hits and moving forward and taking, you know, that monologue from Rocky Balboa. It's it's basically, you know, it has been personally my philosophy of life. Yeah. You just get knocked down, you get back up, move, get knocked down, mm -hmm. get back up, move, move wiser, smarter, learn something, you know, and move, move, keep moving, keep moving forward, you know. Yep. Keep moving so, forward. I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. Last question for you. I, I know you're a busy man. You've got a lot of stuff to do, but last question, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, where is, where's the dream location? When, when it's all said and done, John, mm -hmm. when you're retired, when you're kicking your feet up on the proverbial porch of life. Yeah. Where am I going to find you? By the ocean somewhere. By the ocean. Yeah, definitely by the ocean. Like, you know, with the one woman by my side and uh, glass of scotch. Nice okay, what's, what's your scotch? Let's, let's get all this out there. Cause listen, man, there's, <laughs> there's people listen. I'm, I don't, I got scotch people listen. They're gonna be like, okay, what's a scotch? And uh, McAllen 12 is my favorite. Okay, right nice. Now. Yeah, McAllen 12, nice cigar. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fancy pants with cigars. So, you know, Romeo, Romeo and Julieta and uh, the right woman and the ocean. And I'm a happy man. It's that, it's that rhythm of the ocean. Yeah. Calming. Yeah. That's it. That's it. it. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate the time. I know you're busy. Uh, and so I really do appreciate the time. One, two, you know, tell people again where they can find you. Uh, what's the best? I mean, I'm assuming Instagram, probably the best for people to engage with you or Facebook. Well, Facebook is more it's official. Okay. Uh, John Fallon. I accept everybody that doesn't look like an asshole. <laughs> and uh, Twitter, uh, not Twitter. I mean Instagram. It's I'm pretty sure it's official. John Fallon or John Fallon too. official. You'll just, be tagged. You'll be tagged in the thread here. Yeah, just look for the guy with the hat. 
and uh and yeah john-fallon.com is is my blog and that's it just got a little blog. you've got arrow on, arrow on the head arrow on the head of course yes you've got the shelter folks check that out uh it was 2015 in case you're wondering hour and 17 minutes long it's a it's it's a great film with that john uh i close out with these two lines one is you know you can go to the store buy fruits and veggies all the fun stuff and in a week it can all go bad but you get to go back to the store and buy it again you get to go play the same stupid game over and over again uh that's we can't do that with time and yeah. so it is not lost on me that a man who doesn't know me but through 11 email exchanges and a couple things <laughs> on instagram has decided to spend two hours with me and talk you know and assuming that the conversation is going to go well and it's going to you know all those things right it's it's it is, um, it's more than, than overwhelming to me. It really is because that's time and it's the one thing you can't get back. It's the one thing that no matter what you try to do, you're just not gonna get it back. So thank you. And I do mean that, thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you for having me, Jason, because it was um, time well spent on my bed. Thank you, I appreciate that. And with that folks, we're gonna say goodbye to John and then you're gonna to listen to my daughter sing about the first time she took a shit by herself. It's hilarious, <laughs> it's fun, it's your favorite part. John, thank you, sir. Uh, we'll be you uh, it, tracking you and all this and everything else. Uh, you have an absolutely wonderful week ahead. Thank you again for the time and we'll talk soon, brother. I appreciate you. You got it, Jason. Take care of yourself and bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>